3: Hello everybody, it's JB here, and just doing a little bit of housekeeping, because the Pilot Episodes pod, which we're about to listen to, sadly, was originally recorded about a month ago, deleted about three weeks ago, re-recorded last week, and to my utter horror was recorded when I had turned off my mic, which I, well, this mic, which you can hear now, is my normal mic. Unfortunately, when we recorded the podcast, I turned this mic off, so I do apologise we are going to give you a podcast, because we're nice like that, but you'll find that the sound quality is not quite what our usual standard is, because I was recording it through a mic on the other side of the room. Don't ask how it happened, uh, we don't need to, uh, any more further inquest into this, but it did happen. So, um, despite my complete ineptitude, here is your episode of Pilot Episodes, and by the way, I promise I will try to do better in the future. Enjoy. Hello everybody, and welcome to Pilot Episodes, the podcast for, well i'll start again hello everybody jb JB, hang on a sec
0: mate you do sound particularly tinny is that just us
3: it must be guys because i've I've got the same feed here as i'd get in egg chasers okay Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pilot Episodes. The inf- so, if
2: we interrupt now, does that is that <laughs> no good?
3: <laughs> oh, oh
0: JB, honestly, boiling. don't even start this because is- Dunk's going to go all night. He
3: does respond well to You know what? Fine, that that's going to stay in the podcast. Hello, everybody, right. welcome to Pilot Episodes, the infrequent flying podcast. Now, at this point, I would introduce each of our. Three pilots with a little bit of banter. But I can't really this week because the last podcast we did, I sadly deleted. And it was a belter too. So, instead of giving them banter, I'll just say hello to Godders. How are you, mate?
0: I'm all right, JB. Um, Hoping to replicate that amazing, amazing podcast from the other week. It was a bit like, in terms of comedy, I don't know whether you've ever seen the Monty Python sketch of the world's funniest joke where they have to split it into single words and someone... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> someone who accidentally sees two words ends up in hospital for three weeks <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you were doing a public service by deleting it
3: yes maybe maybe you've been over to the united states doing stuff
0: yes i have i had a very interesting time going meeting lots of f-35 people lots of carrier people um and uh amongst other things went down to headcorn to go and see little parky flying his spitfire wouldn't oh, let me near it would he you? um at yeah. the other weekend as well so hey, uh, i've, I've had a, a bit of aviation, a... aviation recently
3: v-
1: very you, nice oh you sat in it
0: uh, parky let me sit in his airplane
1: <laughs> oh that's nice him
3: uh, talking to which hello parky hello jb how uh, how are you mate yeah I, I assume lots and lots of flying well uh, uh, wealthy oil barons.
1: Yes, yeah, it's been really busy, actually. We did have to call security one time when God has rocked up, but we, uh, we got rid of him. Uh, loads of punters, and, yeah, you know, a six-day push at Leon Solent and Cywell. That Ooh! Well, so it was, uh, no, it was good. Awesome. I know
3: the Solent sounds cool.
1: Yeah, you go to sort of um, Isle of Wight. The Needles is the, uh, I kind of know it quite well now, where it is. Difficult to find, um, what <laughs> needles?
0: <laughs> you mean next to that big isle of something?
1: Now, this sounds
3: relatively stupid. But uh, are they okay with you flying Spitfires over so much water? Do you do you, want, do you not want to keep them over land?
1: Yeah, so it, it is about two and a half minutes, I think. But you you fly with uh, with. Um... Uh, jackets, survival jackets. So uh, yeah, but it's, well, uh, it's it is a quick dive and You gain as much height as possible.
3: I mean, but being uh, as candid as that, possible, it's not really your safety. I was I, I, I was worried about.
1: <laughs> uh, no, we, we do give a jacket to the passengers as well. But it's uh, we were guessing actually. We generally fly head where we don't tend to go over the og splash as much.
3: Excellent. Uh, and last but not least, Duncan. How are you, mates?
2: Hi. Oh, I'm good, thanks. I'm absolutely glorious. Uh,
3: give me some uh, give me some uh, give me some Texan updates. Go on. Go crazy.
2: Oh yeah, okay. Well, you know, it's uh, I, I. Do you know I haven't been there for a couple of weeks now because last time that we spoke, um, this is you know pre-deleted one. I was in the uh, I was in the in the midst of Texan stuff, but um, yeah, they're, they're sort of coming on. So the instructor workups are um, uh, are coming on, and so they've got everyone. Um, that the, there was an initial carder that went out to the states and learnt. All of those boys are now back up and running again, and they're now getting a newer carder who haven't flown the aircraft before ready. So everything's cascading down in terms of qualifications, and they're um, they're, they're able to fly it. So it's good. Now,
3: have I, read, have I got this wrong? Do we fly the Tucano as well in the RF?
2: We do. We do fly it. Why do we need both? Well, one's taken over from the other.
3: Oh, uh, it's, it's just a newer version.
2: Or... yeah, so uh, the Tucano stands down. And is retired in October this this year.
3: Ah, interesting. Ah, yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to start off with rather of with rather topical. Who's been watching Game of Thrones? Me. Who's oh.
0: that?
3: Godders. Yeah, can just I can Godders. I just tell you a very quick story yes, about that? Of course, you can.
0: So, um, when I went out to the states last week, it was the day after the Battle of Winterfell, and I had it on my phone and I rewatched it and watched the the moment
2: critique. Should we um, know what the Battle of Battle of Winterfell is? No, no. just
3: roll with
0: it, yeah, oh, roll problem. with it and um I watched it and, you know, with headphones on and on the screen, you could see it all happening and the way the music built. And so I wrote a quite excitable tweet at the end that said, you know, the way it works, best best TV ever, music builds, uh, area uh, ninja, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the replies I got back was, just confirm you're a grown man. <laughs> Not funny. Not funny at all. I thought it maybe, sounds maybe like it's frog. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I did get a little excitable over dragons It was a bit gushy.
3: Now, here, here is my question: How did you feel about the use of the air air assets uh, during the Battle of Winterfell? Because I thought it was <laughs> abysmal.
0: Well, interesting, eh? In that they had never so for Duncan Parkey and Parky uh, and anyone else listening in the Battle of Winterfell. There are three dragons. Two dragons are bad ones. Uh, sorry, one dragon is a bad one. Two dragons are good ones. And the, uh, the Night King ends up putting out a bunch of snow and ice. They're fighting at night, so they end up in Night IMC, not doing very well, generally bumping <laughs> into each other and, uh, and not doing close-air support of the troops.
3: No, uh, I thought they. So this is this is just from an amateur's point of view. I thought they didn't uh, they didn't use the close air support quick enough. Second, second of all, why would you attack an, an enemy air asset from below? Surely they want one doing cap and then one doing like ground attack.
0: I'd well, say they weren't thinking about it at all because the first thing they did was fly over to the other side um, when they didn't have air superiority what they needed to do was take out the dragon first and then provide close air support to the troops on the ground and if they couldn't take out the one one of them exactly as you said should have kept him busy um and then the other one provide troops on the ground with a bit of support
2: yeah, uh, yeah but the germans the germans in the in world war 2 they used schlager music by by going beneath the other aircraft and and then shooting the lancasters down that way
3: uh, and um, and how did that war end up end up for them
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is true but they were very successful they did they have dragons done <laughs> <laughs> it's a German dragon a
0: <laughs> 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 uh, I I'm just it's a particularly a difficult take off a particular difficult takeoff off roll for the German dragon <laughs> is <goosh> stepping <laughs> into the air yeah. it's
2: not easy they had to get the jack boots <laughs> on the dragon's feet as well first <laughs> Uh, and then, just like, uh, and, and last one for you, Goddars.
3: Uh, how how do you feel about landing your air asset in the middle of the, in the middle of a battlefield?
0: Oh, hang on, I'm still laughing about a dragon
2: with jack boots on uh, <laughs> stepping into the air. Uh, uh, is this a clever way, by the way, of trying to get some more listeners by appealing to Game of Thrones fans?
3: It is, uh, yeah.
0: Now, uh, landing your dragon in the middle of an active battlefield is... (laughs)
2: I'm sorry, but let's just listen to that. It sounds like a really serious (laughs) quote. Uh, Landing your dragon in the middle of an active battlefield should never really be uh, attempted. Uh, (laughs) That's really really on the back foot. Yeah. (laughs) Let oh, me join this episode. Come
0: on, we got to, you two have to watch Game of Thrones now so we can do a full critique of this. Um, yeah, it, huh? it, it, yes, it is definitely not in Dragon SOPs that you land on an active battlefield uh, with an army of 10 million dead.
3: That's it, no, insane, right. isn't it? Absolutely insane. Anyway, that uh, that's enough of that. Um, although,
0: uh, although was, did you see the uh, the last episode on Monday?
3: Uh, yes. Oh, well, I didn't want to get into that because, um, I mean, I guess that would be a wild weasel mission if anything.
0: Well, exactly. You know, they needed some radar warning. Received that one of the dragons got shot down unexpectedly.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Can we move on to something more real?
0: Okay. <laughs> it ha- is real, Dunk. It actually <laughs> happened.
3: All right. Well, I, I'll turn something. Uh, I'll turn something relatively serious. Um does anyone know anything about space?
2: The final frontier? Yeah, that one. Uh, no. <laughs> no.
3: Well, no. I was reading... I've been quite close to it. I was reading today that the RAF are actually in charge of Brit- Britain's, Britain's space defence. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, we, we've got a, a space operations centre that... Uh, you know, uh, draws all the information together and, uh, and provides us a little bit of extra safety because, um, you know, air defence of the UK just does not stop um, when the, uh, the sort of lower atmosphere.
3: Amazing. Now, obviously, my handler wants to know a bit more about this, but I will save that for later. Um, now, are we going to try and repeat the podcast that we previously did or are we going to do something different?
2: Well, we won't, be able to, meetings, we won't be able to do it as good as the previous one, will we?
1: That was a one-off.
2: It was a belter. It was so. amazing.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. What software did you buy to try and retrieve it, JB?
3: Um, well, Microsoft I am pretty certain that that podcast is on this machine somewhere, and I have no idea how to get it, because I know it auto-saves, but I could not find the file for love nor money.
0: I tell you what, this will be a classic when they dig it up in three thousand years' time. When you've put that computer in the skip. Yeah, exactly. It,
2: it'll exactly. be like the you know the missing, the missing files. Like Elvis has probably got an, a missing album and stuff, hasn't he? It'll be the same on the same level.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so. Well, mind, mind you, we, di- we didn't. Talk, we, there was no not much Dragon Banter last time, last week. Zero <laughs> Dragon Banter.
1: It was mainly based on fact, wasn't it?
3: <laughs> uh,
2: yeah
1: well i do believe actually
3: that we that we were talking about uh well not my favorite uh, mission, uh missions because i've never been uh, on a mission but your favorite missions the one i particularly liked was uh was parky trying to track down helicopters in bosnia
2: we were trying to find an operational mission that parky had actually done weren't we <laughs> quite
3: <tricky. laughs> hang on that uh, that's not fair. He's shadowed plenty of um, uh, passenger aircraft and jet airliners.
2: Yeah, oh, they that's can be true, yeah. That is pretty tough. Yeah. Parky, you're very quiet, mate.
1: How about now?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's much right. better. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, but hadn't I already on a previous podcast talked about that trip? That's what? Yes, I Were deleted
2: you? it. That's because it's your only op mission, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is just playing into Dunk's hands. <laughs>
0: well, go on talk us through again. Yeah, go on. So what job were you what job were you doing out and uh, where were you flying from?
1: We were flying from Gioia del Col the heel of Italy with some Harrier idiots and uh, it was up deny flights and we were just stopping the uh the serb helicopters uh getting airborne and if they did get airborne we were essentially trying to stop them uh by flying very close to them and annoying them i guess and uh yeah it was just a bit of a sort of game that must have been uh,
2: quite an easy task for you (laughs) religious right How can we annoy them the most? We'll just put Parky in the aeroplane, get him to talk at them as he goes.
0: Well, I was going to say, he didn't need to go flying for that. He could have just made the radio calls from
2: outside the hangar enjoyer. Just a big megaphone.
1: (laughs) Oi! We we did transmit on guard, but I think they ignored us. Um, Very annoying.
3: Were you using the F3 at the time,
1: Parky? Yeah, this was F3, so it was... You know, I mean, the radar, we, we could see them, but it was difficult to find them, and they were just all sorts of weird heights. Remember the first one we intercepted? I kind of had it in my head, they'd be down low. That's where helicopters normally are. And this thing was at about 15,000 feet. must have been hypoxic, but it was up really high. And they are like, what's he doing up here? And then, uh, yeah, it was just, let's say, game of cat mousing amongst the mountains at times, and I think I was talking about that little... Is it a Hughes 500? Tiddly little thing that was... Yeah, uh, the one out of that Magnum P.I. Yeah,
3: yeah. Hang on, isn't that... Um, oh, that's not Hughes. Is, is that a Hughes? Isn't that...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Is, it, it, is that what they refer to as a little bird?
0: Yes, correct.
1: There you go. There you go. Are yeah. you sure that, that's that, a Hughes? This, this mate took off in this thing, and it was just tiddly. And again, just, just chasing it around the mountains. Bloody brilliant fun.
0: Was it it Serbians or was it the bloke at Magnum PI?
1: He had a big moustache. Don't know. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
3: So, the helicopter I'm thinking of is the Boeing AMH 6.
1: Or AH 6. I think that's the attack version of the civilian Hughes 500, but I could be wrong. Oh, interesting.
0: So, that's the little bird that you're talking about.
3: Yeah, and they put, like, two special forces on either side of it and land it somewhere. Uh, Tell me this, then. So the F3 uh, is pretty high performance. Was that the ideal platform to actually do that job?
1: I mean, we've shared it it wasn't just the F3s doing it. All the brave air defenders that were out there were, you know, policing it. So I imagine there were Dutch F-16 boys doing air defence and... Uh, some F-18s, and, you know, all, all different nations were doing it, and then we just have a slot. It was just divvied up, and uh, we seemed to get a lot of the night slots. So we with night vision goggles and uh, all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, was quite the it was a vaguely big country, so you do need to, you know, get around a few hundred miles so you'd be tanking and, uh, and chasing these things around. But, uh, you know, you're right, in terms of the... Uh, the F-3s, we were flying the Tornadoes. They had a couple of, not the huge tanks, but a couple of the 1,500-litre fuel tanks. So they were, they, it was not the most agile aircraft at the best of times, but with these things dangling off them, they were, you know, especially heavy, they could be a bit of a handful. So you, you definitely needed to be careful, you know, manoeuvring the old girl, you know, with the mountains at low level, etc just to, you know... Keep, keep the performance there, but it was it was it was genuinely great fun and uh, and, and quite hard work at times what what were your rules of engagement well the, the, I seem to recall that they had to be seen to do uh, you know either be shooting dropping bombs or doing something like that and I do remember one of them that we intercepted had no back doors on this hit, so you could kind of see right inside you know the mates on it and I think if they had you know been yeah throwing stuff out or, you know, dropping anything that was vaguely uh wary, then we would probably have been told we could engage then, but uh, they didn't. So we just, you know, essentially shepherded them and, as I mentioned before, annoyed them. What would you have engaged with, Parky? That's a great question. side I think. You could get a growl, you know, so a heat-seeking missile, you could, uh, you know, they, they're vaguely hot little jet pipes on those, uh, on, on the hip. Do
2: they have any countermeasures on it?
1: So, i don't know maybe but uh you know now, i can't remember <laughs> now just to change
3: the subject slightly to think a little bit grisly um mm-hmm. something which i had no idea about because i just never think to looked it up but i read a little bit into that um you remember the russian do the, the russian shot down the indonesian airline or whatever it was do you remember
2: that yeah yeah uh
0: yeah, the Indonesian was it one, Indonesian which, one? Was had it a, which had the Dutch people on it.
3: Yeah. And it originated that, in Holland. Yes. Yeah. So the reason I bring yeah. that up is I have no idea that these missiles, uh, such as the Sidewinder, have like, well, they're not just explosives. They're like lots of little ball bearings and all sorts of nasty things.
0: Yeah, they, um, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of mechanisms in, <laughs> depends how big your missile is, some of the smaller air-to-air missiles. They will have explosives in, but are more hit aisles than missiles. So the whole thing is designed to actually hit the target. Whereas other ones are designed to g- just get near the target. And so the bigger the missile, the bigger the blast radius that you've got on it. Um
2: and a disc in there. Yeah, it, exactly. Oh, so
0: there's so there's, there's various mechanisms in there that... Um, so you know tungsten cubes, for example. Uh, so uh, sort of you know it's almost a thick tungsten wire wrapped round an explosive, cut into cubes, and that cuts fuel lines and hydraulic pipes and that sort of stuff. And there's other bits and pieces, and the, explosions, uh, the explosive part will try and set light to things, just to you know just to take it out.
3: I had no idea. So actually, what you what you. If you're unlucky enough to be around one of these things, the chances are that you've got some some debris in your engines, or you know, there's a ball bearing and a fuel line or something, they're, they're really quite nasty. It's like, like like little sharp bow ties, which um, were the things that hit the hit the Dutch airliner.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the, there's a uh, you know the, the technology in any sort of uh, missile is um, is amazing when you think about it in terms of the the guidance, whichever it is, heat-seeking or radar-guided, um, the explosive mechanism that's in there, and the uh, the rocket motor to get it to, the, uh, to that particular place as well. Um, so there's an awful lot going on. And you see some of them, some of those short-range heat-seeking missiles, Sidewinders or Asrams, are not big missiles. So there's an awful lot packed into a tiny little body that is sort of just sh- shot away.
1: Mm. Do you know, JB, the... We've all probably, you know, fired some missiles off jets, but you you always remember your first one and the firing... Mine was a sidewinder, and it was off a Phantom. And it was just ridiculous experience. I, I can remember hearing the sort of scream almost as this thing comes off the metal rail beside me. And I think the thing's going kind of Mach too. Pretty much as it comes, you know, a few hundred yards in front of the jet, the acceleration is just ridiculous and the noise and, and the whole experience of, of firing uh, an air-to-air missile, especially the, the, actually the bigger ones, you know, the Sparrow, Skyflash, amrams they're, they're generally underneath the aircraft. They're not quite as impressive as when, you know, one comes screaming past your ear. And I guess same with the Harrier, was it? You know, it must have come right past your sort of ear hole as it, as it goes off the uh, lethal jet.
2: Yeah.
3: Tell me, Sparky.
1: Tell me, Sparky.
3: Look at that. Were there any ever Well, sorry. Were there ever any particular um, weapons loadouts that you'd go up against that you would really fear? Or a missile system which you really didn't want to face?
2: Yeah, I think I all of them yeah. were pretty nasty. Yeah.
3: I about to say, that, that's pretty much all of them. Hang on yeah? a second, hang on a second. Yeah, yes, now, don't get me wrong, I know they're all pretty nasty, but, uh, you know, if you were to yeah, anything at the moment, the one that they all go on about is the S-400. There was nothing back in the day which, which you really didn't want to face.
0: No, I, th- I, th- I think quite a lot of them, each individual missile system or uh, or um, AAA system... Had uh, was nasty in its own way, so th- there were various ways to avoid each one of them. And, and frankly, you don't want to get shot at um, because it's easier to keep it the the round in the uh, in the barrel or the uh, the missile on the rail than it is to try and avoid one when it's airborne
2: and coming at you. Ah,
3: interesting, interesting.
2: We sort of had tactics, didn't we? About, against all of the lower digit SAMs, but the the bigger digit SAMs, SA20s, etc. You know, and uh, th- that sort of thing were pretty much. Indefensible.
1: Uh, why so? Just because they, 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 yeah, they go on, go on, well, The records were brilliant, and yeah. the were potent, weren't they? They could, you know, you you couldn't get above them. You the range of the thing was was massive. So yeah, yeah they, That's why I guess godels all jumping here, but you want essentially a jet that's pretty much the, that can't be seen, and that's where the F thirty five comes in.
0: Yeah, that that that's where low observability and stealth comes into its own, is in, into getting into those areas, and the standoff weapons that we carry as well. So you know, back in the day when the Wild Weasel missions first started, uh, they were dropping dumb bombs onto these missile systems. I mean, incredibly brave to go and try and find them, yeah. take stuff off the rail, and then get in there and, uh, and try and take them out with uh, with those sorts of weapons. They then, uh, you know, went towards sort of missile systems that homed in on uh, uh, on the radar itself. But now we've got standoff weapons that can, uh, you know, fly tens of kilometers, which means you don't have to get in the heart of the envelope of these of these systems to actually take them out.
3: Yeah, because I, I, I might be wrong here, but I'm sure some of these things have a range of like 400 kilometres or something. It's absolutely massive.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's some enormous ranges on them. But there's some of the older ones back in the day, you know, the the SAM-5 or whatever that used to, uh, was still around actually, but um, looks like uh, sort of Thunderbird 2. An enormous, yeah. looks like almost an intercontinental ballistic missile, um, because it's packed full of, of rocket fuel, uh, to be able to get it out long range. Um, I think and,
1: it's between Thunderbird
0: three. Yeah, that one. Thunderbird two would be stupid, wouldn't it? That's the green one.
3: Yeah, firing Hercules at people.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Really, really
2: slowly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the tiny little one that's in the of That
1: Thunderbird looks four. Like, the yellow one with Gordon.
2: Yeah, it looks like um, uh, the trotters. Uh, they, yeah, <laughs> the one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is, isn't it? Is yeah, that what it yeah. is? Is it actually a three-wheeler that comes out of Thunderbird 2 with exactly yeah. indip- uh, Thunderbird independent trading written on the side? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, lots of nasty systems out there, JB, because every time there's a development in taking them out, um, there's a new development um, and uh, you have to try something else. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of tactics, procedures and ways of doing it. Um, because uh, as we talked about with the dragons and a bit of their superiority, is uh, with their superiority you need to get rid of all those SAM systems as well. Because operating inside of those SAM areas is not very nice at all.
3: No, I bet not. Have, have you ever come across quantum radar?
0: Have you been watching the Avengers? Nope, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, no, never heard of it. Go with quantum radar theory.
3: Uh, Sound in
2: the Thrones. Does it have something to do with quarks? Go on.
3: No, uh i i think quantum computing has oh. but not quantum radar as i understand it it's basically two radar posts in different I, I i might need to re read uh, wikipedia at some point but it is um the
2: handler uh, to tell you
3: yeah two different radar <laughs> stations which sort of fire bits at each other so it's like a tripwire so if you go through it that's that's how that's how they know rather than bouncing it off something and then back Oh, interesting. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: No, but I'm going to do it and uh, we'll be an expert on the next show.
3: Perfect.
0: Tripwire radar.
3: Yeah, something like that, because you can imagine that no matter how stealthy you are, you've still got you still to break that radar.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so the, uh, various people around the world will be working on counter, and then other people will be working on counter, counter stealth, and it, and it just goes on. Um, there's new techniques coming out all of the time. Mm. And that's the hardest thing, is keeping on top of all of these things, you know, and, and with your, uh, your airplanes and your systems is making them upgradable so that, um, you know, they're future-proof.
1: Mm. And then, you know, JB, you know, all the jets would have jamming pods on them, so you're trying to jam the frequency that any of these radars are transmitting on. And the jets will all have chaff, so they're, you know, again, from back in the day little bits of metal that you you know hopefully the, uh, the the radars will see them not the jet so that there's lots of countermeasures as well even you know even if they're, they're seeing you so
0: it was a it was a really interesting role doing the wild wild weasel role which is the the the, uh, the one i did when i was on exchange with the uh, with the us um you know sort of given the history of of where they started oh. in uh, vietnam and then uh, uh, you know where they've where they've gone and the specific mission that they uh, that they carry out.
3: I, di- I wasn't aware that, that was that was your role in the West. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah,
0: actual wild weasel. Uh,
3: did you use the um, thingy? Was it HOM? Is it HOM? Is, Is it eighty-eight? Something?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agm A-G-M-8, uh, eighty-eight.
3: Agm eighty-eight. Oh, exciting! I did not know that. That's
0: a big old missile. Doesn't look too big when you're walking around on an aeroplane, but like anything, you stick it in a room. And it is massive. It's like an enormous telegraph pole.
2: Goddess wasn't a wild weasel, though. He was a a slightly cross weasel. (laughs) 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 Marginally annoyed. Yeah, marginally annoyed
3: weasel. Did did you ever fly any of those uh, missions uh, operationally, Goddess?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So, uh, you know, we used to... uh, I mean, it was really, really interesting where um, you got... Rough intelligence of uh, of where various missile systems might be, and then you, with your sensors, would go out and uh, and basically try and find them. So there was fairly hard and fast tactics is how we used it. And I mean, back in the day, it was with the um, the prowler, the EA six B prowler. Yes. So we used to work with them, and the and the rivet joint as well, and AWACS and various others. So. Um, you know, we be front and center in terms of pressing into enemy territory, if you like, because we're looking for stuff that uh, that is um, popping up. You know, the sort of mobile SAMs. Because with the fixed SAMs, you generally know where they are and you can mark them on a map and you can avoid them. Whereas yeah. with the mobile ones, they can drive them around and point and shoot anywhere. If they're radar guided, they uh, they have to point a radar at you, and um, your kit can sense it, and uh, and then you can start shooting back or or doing what you need to do
3: time the time that they fire up their radars in order to, uh to you actually releasing a weapon or identifying it and then releasing a weapon, and how do you know it's their radar or not someone
0: else's uh it's because of the uh, the kit you've got on your airplane, so the stuff that's sensing it um can uh, has got all sorts of uh software in it that classifies <clears throat> what particular radar signals it's seeing. Um, and so you uh, you know what's looking at you. Therefore, you can classify it. And if that is within your rules of engagement, then you can um, shoot something at it. You wow. might even shoot something into an area. Uh, the alarm that the GR4 used to carry, I always thought, was quite a cool missile. Um, that was a, a, a beam-riding missile. So it would look for a radar beam and try and... Um, fly down that particular beam and if that beam turned off it had a secondary mode that it could then wait in a parachute uh, and float down gently and if they turned it back on again it would snip the parachute and then use gravity to uh, to try and fly towards it
3: oh that's very smart i like that
0: yeah. it was uh, it was it was a good bit of kit so that meant when we were doing the uh, the sort of um, you know big missions big training missions for example is that if we had a particularly heavy sam area that we were going through they'd might they might preemptively fire off a bunch of these um to sit in parachutes and then you try and weave your way through you know in the harrier days back in the harrier days it was down at low level using the cover of of mountains and terrain and that sort of stuff because again if you know where they are then you fly the other side of the hill they're not going to see you because the radar can't see through the uh, through the granite so um really interesting in terms of how you run the tactics how you make yourself survivable um and what's out
2: there to help you
3: that is genuinely fascinating did, did you do any um enemy anti-air suppression dunk
2: no no i didn't know <clears throat> it wasn't a role that i i went to we didn't really well i guess the tornado had it with alarm didn't it but that was it
0: oh. yeah it, it wasn't something i mean we did invest in it because uh, alarm was in there for a long time but um I think the German Tornadoes are still doing it, aren't they? Oh, and yeah, uh, they, you yeah, know, really they've got they've got yeah, really they've got AG, yeah Agm eighty eight ECR Tornadoes, yeah, yeah. Um, which were converted <clears> into <throat> a specific role. I mean, the F three had pretty good sensing uh, kit on it, didn't it, Parky?
1: It yeah, had good good radar warning. I think there was talk at one stage of even you know, as the F three was you know in its death rows coming to the end of its career of you know what it could be used at, and there was talk of converting it to a sort of yeah, harm role, but... Uh,
2: yeah, I'd heard that.
1: Because the, the, the radar, the radar, the radar homing as well, the radar warner, was really good in the F3. But, you know, essentially it would tell you what's looking at you and give you a very accurate bearing, as they are in most years, to be honest, you know, as the, as the computers and the technology improves, you know, things get better and better.
0: Back in the day, JB, the, uh, the radar warning receivers on aeroplanes used to be... Um... Oh, oh, someone will kill me for not remembering, staring crystal video or something like that. But when a radar pointed at you, you would hear the tone of the radar. So a fire control radar would be a sort of high pitch, you know, as it was uh, locking onto you. Whereas a EW radar would just sweep once in a while with a sort of low... And so... You know, in the original Wild Weasel and most of the airplanes up into the 60s and 70s, they were purely, still they, until they started processing it, they were listening for particular radars. And guys, especially in that Wild Weasel role, got absolutely brilliant at detecting and classifying exactly what radar was looking at, just from the sound of the, uh, of uh, you know, whether it was high pulse, the... the um, pitch of it as well, uh, or low pulse, and so on. So uh, you know, really, really Amazing. interesting.
3: So was well, so they just uh, j- literally just just by the sound?
0: Yep, yep, yep. yep. Now, um, and, and then clearly, uh, computers came in, and uh, so you are the warning receivers that you're looking at. Um, it will take it in, it analyzes it, tries to classify it based on the database that it's got, and it tells you with some confidence of uh, of what particular system is looking at you.
3: Also. Now, this does bring me back to a, uh, something which I mentioned maybe in our second podcast, and I'm widely ridiculed for it. But in the Vietnam War, and I, I, had, to che- I had to check this again because I was so ridiculed for it, mostly by dunk. Uh, in the <laughs> Vietnam War, the way that the F4s would detect incoming SAMs, because they didn't have any countermeasures of, of their own at the time, to buy a radar detector from the local hardware store, which you would use to detect police radars for speeding... And then attach it to your aeroplane, and if that beeped, you could be in trouble.
0: And did you uh, did you relook it up, JB, just d- to check that you were telling the truth?
3: And I uh, did uh, uh, relook it up. I like am telling the truth. That actually did happen.
2: Written, but remember, written by M. Mouse.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: did it have one of those citation required bits? No, no, no. Um, it, was, it, it was on Top Gun. It's on Top Gun. It's fine. It was written by M. Mouse on April the first. Oh no!
3: <laughs> it might have been actually.
2: <laughs>
3: um, uh, but, yeah, but you can
0: imagine, JB, in that uh, in especially the modern electronic space, just how many radar signals and other signals are just uh, flying around the place. So it is really important to be able to understand what's looking at you, what's out there, um, you know, what's jamming you if it's trying to jam you, um, stuff you're trying to jam, and go. Yeah, it's really important these days that you understand exactly what's out there in the electromagnetic spectrum because it, think of World War II. Actually, Dunk mentioned the um, uh, the fighters that used to come in below the bombers um, with the, uh, the, what was it, the... Um, Schlager music. Schla- Schlager music um, pointing upwards from the... Uh, was it eight eight Uh, who had rudimentary air-to-air radar on. And then um, uh, obviously out there was uh, uh, detection radar. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can imagine how it's come on over the years, such that the whole battle space is flooded with um, various uh, waves in and around the uh, various levels of the electromagnetic spectrum. So being able to detect, understand, and classify everything so that um, you know what's looking at you, um, you know what you are looking at, you know, all of those sorts of things just gives you a huge advantage and and lets you understand. It also stops you um, uh, sort of uh, fratting each other with your own radar waves because you know if you're operating on the same frequency and you sort of turn and look at each other you can accidentally jam each other so um you know you need to understand uh, how you're not going to do a blue on blue um through uh, through you know just radar or radio waves
3: awesome by the way yuri says thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: found that very interesting what's
0: your handle name he's changed. <laughs> uh, Jessica,
1: j- just you go just go back to world anyway jb so it doesn't matter what we say
3: exactly yeah this is true uh, just go back to World War Two um, night fighters. I don't think there was a cool-looking aircraft then. A night-fighting mosquito in matte
2: black. Yeah, it does look pretty cool.
0: To be fair, is, is a mosquito? Parky might know this. Is a mosquito coming over to the UK anytime soon?
1: I think it's. I was talking to JR, and I believe you know the next one that's being built in New Zealand has been earmarked. For the uk and for it would be operated at duxford now i think we're still talking you know a year 18 months something like that
2: i so, read that i read on twitter there was something on twitter and i didn't dig into it deeper but someone was saying there was one going to be taxied anyone see that in the uk already yeah in the uk i thought it was
0: or oh, someone will, oh, i bet someone who's listening on twitter and tell us oh, so exactly what's going on taxi.
1: yeah so there's a there's a taxiable mosquito at East Kirby. Wow. All- How on, East Kirkby? Yeah. Cur- Where? So it, sit- it sits behind just Jane in the hangar there. And, uh, yeah, the boys have definitely you know, got the engines going. And uh, you Was know, that recently, parky of- Yeah, pretty recently. Uh, they were getting the, you know, the left engine was going, and I guess they've now you know, got both engines going kind of thing. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, Rebo came down from Yorkshire. I think, uh, I think from Elvington, but I'm not Totally sure, it's beautiful, yeah. So, that will be a taxiing mosquito at uh, at East Kirby,
2: and I guess they'll do the same thing, will they? They'll charge people to go and taxi in it, I think
1: so yeah. I think you can sort of jump in, yeah, put a bit of power on. I mean, that thing's gonna accelerate like a belt fed wombat, isn't it? Kind of naught to 50, or <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Did uh, did we ever get to the bottom of if one had appeared on BBMF, who would have flown it, the bomber pilots or the fighter pilots? Fighter pilots, well, I know that's yeah, what we all thought, but um. Is that what would have happened? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it would be the boss's <laughs> call, and he, he was a fighter pilot, so
2: that's the, the, this uh, is true. I'm just wondering whether the I tell you what you probably the, do you put a the, fighter pilot in there with a bomber pilot in the left hand seat.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to do that. Don't talk to me. Because <laughs> uh, I, because I guess the uh, the twin side of it. Do you think that's more important than the actual speed of it and,
2: and um, you know, uh,
0: handling and so on?
2: Yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's got to be something that you can get used to, isn't it? I think is that the, the handling is, well, I don't know, to be honest. I, I think there's six and a half. There's no, in seriousness, there's an no argument for both.
0: Yeah, I think they're, they're interesting. They? Do we know, did we ever meet... Any fighter pilots from the Second World War who converted to Mosquito? Obviously, it was Bob Iveson who'd done Bancaster from, uh, it was a bit far hurricane. You mean Tony Iveson, don't you? Tony Iveson. Bob Iveson was in the Yeah,
1: ball. he was a bit to, to Lang. Yeah. George Dunn was Halifax to Mosquito. Yeah, I, I, it
2: did happen. It
1: did happen. Well, did it it did. just it doesn't seem that. Uh, I think they did tend to keep, you know, the multi-engine boys that had gone, you know, from pilot training, went Anson, then went Wellington and, you know, got the heavy.
2: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
1: Bomber. i think those boys tended to then be the mossy boys didn't they and i think that you know the, the single engine fighter boys stayed there were enough fighters for them to fly
0: yeah it doesn't seem so common i i don't think i've met him. it doesn't seem so common i don't think i've even read uh I, you know other than tony going from spit to bomber, and I don't know it did happen, but I haven't read of many people going from single-seat fighters to Mosquito. You know, like Parky says, I think it was generally the sort of the bomber guys who, who ended up in Mozzie's.
2: Well, maybe some of our listenership will be able to. Maybe they've got relatives. They'll be able to get in touch and uh, let yeah, us def- know. If, uh, definitely if tweet happened.
0: us if you know yeah. any, uh, any of those stories because uh, yeah. we don't.
2: Uh- hey, now, we were talking, I think, we were talking about uh, best op missions and then we, we sort of went down a bit of a rabbit hole. But just when you were talking about your um, your, your slightly cross-weasel days, I thought, <laughs> I thought uh, that your story, if I remember, from the fated deleted podcast was quite a good one, uh, which you told us. Do you remember what that was?
0: Yeah, that was um... – it's a weird calling it an op mission over the continental United States, but it was. Uh, I, I was in Saudi Arabia. We were doing southern Iraq when um, 9/11 happened. So I was with an American unit, which in itself was was clearly. I mean, the whole thing was devastating anyway. But uh, I, but watching it in that particular theater with the uh, the guys that I, I was with took on a whole sort of different meaning. Um, and we were back in the US about two weeks after that, and and at that time the uh, the it was amazing the weight of effort that had been put into protecting um, all of the major urban con- conurbations around the coasts of the US mm. with uh, with fighters scrambled from Air Force Navy Reserve Guard units all over the place to uh, to get up, and then they sort of gradually got into a steady flow of of. Uh, uh, quick reaction alert as we know it today. And so I volunteered on for Thanksgiving of that year in 2001 to go and uh, to go and fly just so one of the American guys could have the day off. Um, and I will remember that trip for a long, long time because it was an absolutely beautiful day. We take off or the, the slot we were on early in the morning. So we took off before the, uh, the sun came up. It took about uh, 45 minutes or so to get up to D.C. We were um, combat air patrol over the top of D.C. And I just remember this particular morning, you know, thinking how strange it was that I was speaking to, actually, it was a Belgian controller on a NATO AWACS as a Brit uh, defending Washington, D.C., if you like, with a young American wingman. Um, but absolutely awesome. You know, normally, D.C. was absolutely flooded with cars, traffic, people. We were only at sort of. 10 to fourteen thousand feet so you could see everything on a good day it was an absolute gin clear day the visibility was so good you could see the back of your head um and then just seeing the the sun come up over dc on thanksgiving of uh you know november 2001 after everything that had happened and also you know since we started flying but flying over the top of the pentagon where you could see one of the sides smashed in where uh, where one of the airliners had hit um, and the repair work and everything that was going there. So I mean, that really brought it home, and it was a really interesting and uh, and an amazing trip, you know, to be there in a fully armed airplane, trusted over the top of uh, of DC, going to the tanker. You know, every hour or so. Um, I think I might have mentioned it before, but pitched up on this tanker, and when they connect, the uh, uh, the guy can the, the boomer can talk to you, um, and uh, uh, and seemed incredibly shocked that I was a Brit flying over the top of uh, DC. And I reckon he was the one who grasped because uh, about two weeks after that, they stopped me uh, yeah. flying. I guess they were thinking rules of engagement and those sorts of things. But um, utterly amazing, you know, well, being a to look down on the White House and over the top of uh, Congress and everything that you've seen from the movies down in the in the middle of DC.
3: Why would you be removed? Are they uh, afraid that you, you know, legally you couldn't shoot someone? Are you just, just basically an American serviceman at, at that point?
0: Yeah, but the, but I think that's when the legal arguments started to come in. Um, so what? W- 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 there's always a close liaison between international lawyers if you're flying with someone else as to what you can and can't do in terms of rules of engagement, um, just to make sure that you are covered. And I think in this particular case, uh, you know, an, an American chain of command giving me, a, a, as an example, a shoot down order of a, a of a U.S. airplane, there could be. Consequences and uh, questions and those sorts of things. So, you know, one pilot doesn't make a huge amount of difference. So they took me out of it just to avoid any uh, any conflict over it. Um, Which was which was a shame because uh, you know I just I wanted to be of help to the squadron who had this task of uh, of putting airplanes up. You know, quite a lot of the time to go and uh, uh, to go and put them over the top of DC.
3: Now, obviously, the thought at that time. Or well, the feeling at the time was a lot of shock because, the, uh, you know, the American mainland at that point had never really been, well, had ever been, be, been attacked. Was there a, a, a genuine fear or was there a, a genuine expectation something else was going to happen when, when you guys were, uh, were doing your flying?
0: Um, speaking to the guys who were up on the day or just after the day, yes, because uh, clearly there'd been intelligence gaps and the the plot had managed to uh, uh, it had worked. After that, there was a well. What else is going to happen? And as the as the weeks and months went by, then you know we did calm down a bit in terms of of stuff happening. So by that November, for example, that was just routine combat air patrol. In the early, some of the guys, you know, in days sort of two, three, four after September the eleventh, were being tasked into low level intercepts. Uh, of low-flying light aircraft who hadn't flight planned. You don't have to flight plan in a light aircraft, but a pretty stupid thing to do after September the 11th at night, you know, going towards uh, prohibited areas and so on. So, you know, ended up in some fairly dicey flying down at low level at low speed trying to intercept these things. Um, And uh, and then, you know, as I say, the more the months went on, the more normalized this got, the more, uh, the uh civilian flying fraternity as well realized what they had to in order to make themselves seen and and flight plan and so on in fact i think uh, i think for a while it became regulation that they had to um and so it became reasonably routine after that and and they they started backing off
3: wow wow yeah so that's quite something
0: yeah like i say i i was honestly i was proud to be a part of it and like i say that's why i bring it up as one of the most memorable trips that i've had of uh of just i uh, just amazing you know The one of the most powerful cities in the world if you like washington dc flying over the top of it in a fully armed jet watching the sun come up over a massively quiet thanksgiving uh, only a couple of months after you know the uh, um uh, that sort of devastating time uh, that I'd gone through with a bunch of Americans as well. So uh, yeah, you can see why it sticks in my mind.
3: Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, and yeah, and looking back at as well what it meant for the future, because at that point, I guess not many people had done any combat missions for years. And after that, you know, it's pretty hard to find someone in the services who hasn't been out on operations.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how it changes. Um I remember up at Lossiemouth when uh one of the squadrons were, were they were going for the first time down to to Cyprus to uh to get involved um in Iraq and Syria and they asked me if I wanted to say a few words and, and I wanted to say something about people looking after each other. And uh, I just asked hey, right, hands up, who's who's been on ops before? And um I was expecting half the room or more than half the room to put their hands up because, you know, Duncan eyes uh, generation Duncan I? Uh, I. you know, Dunk spent half his life away, but honestly about less than a quarter of the people put their hands up, and suddenly i so I had to change what I was going to say and so I started talking about those guys being mentors to the other uh, to the other people on the squadron um because it changes so rapidly so it feels like people have been operations for years, but you know we're we've already moved beyond that by the way that people join the services in a sort of three four five six years in without um without necessarily having been abroad, although there is still an awful lot going on, especially in the air domain uh,
3: What was your story Dunk? I've...
2: Oh, I can't remember. I, well, I've got... Because the thing is, I put something on Twitter and it got a really big response and it was when I had... I'd, land, I'd taken off in a, in a jet uh, in Kandahar and uh, the... Oh, I saw that! Wheel oh, I... It exploded. We spoke about that. I can't remember if I told that story. I, it, that was, that's not my most memorable trip. I think I spoke about... Um, is, this,
3: is, is this the one where you gave the Taliban loads of really valuable optics? Yeah, yeah said. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Oh, that was
3: good, wasn't it? Yeah
2: they yeah. did yeah yeah so that was that was that one but i'm that wasn't sort of that wasn't sort of a it was a memorable op trip i suppose but um maybe save that one for another time but i was really surprised i put the i found the picture i put it on twitter and there was a huge uh, response to it in and, so, and and including all sorts of uh, old and bold harrier pilots who then uh, other photos that uh, they'd landed um you know on aircraft carriers with no, with only one outrigger and uh having had a similar nose wheel in and all sorts of it actually uh, it produced a huge response with uh, old and bold guys sending in photos of uh, landing with uh, only one outrigger on carriers and having similar nose wheel problems. But I think we'll have to save that for a, another time. The, the sortie I uh, I remember as being sort of my most memorable op sortie, I think, was I was um, on patrol in Helmand province with a colleague of mine, and um, we were... Uh, we, it, it all seemed quiet. We were looking after a bunch of um, of Afghan National Army guys who had some uh, British forces embedded in with them. Uh, and we got word from uh, one of the electronic warfare platforms um, that they these guys on the ground were about to be overrun and to relay the message to them to, to withdraw to the south, which we did. And we then ended up then putting all of our weapons down to try and stop this flow of Taliban forces coming and uh, and attacking them, um, but in the huge melee that that occurred uh, when they when the the friendly forces withdrew and they did a head count, they found they'd lost three dudes. So um, they, they said, "Right, well, you know, we've got to try and find them." Now we had some pretty rudimentary. Um, thermal imaging and laser designating pods on our aircraft. It was called TIALD, which is that's what it stood for, um, uh, which is thermal imaging and laser designating. But it wasn't particularly good um, at finding small, small targets like a human. Um, And so but that's all we had. So um, so we we scoured the place with these pods looking for these three guys. And miraculously, I think the my my colleague, he, he found them. He found them sheltering in a small building halfway between the enemy and the and the good guys, so we sort of had a bit of a conflag. I said, right, how are we gonna how are we gonna get these boys rescued? Um, Because there's not much that we could do. We'd already released all of our weapons. So what we did, there were some Apache's helicopters. Apache helicopters pretty nearby, and so we called them up and said, can you come and cover these boys? Um, whilst the, the ground forces go in and get them. So these Apaches rocked up, three or four of them, as I remember. And what we did is, we with our laser, laser designator... We put a laser spot down about 500 metres to the to the west of these boys, and the helicopters could sense this this laser spot. They had kit to, to sense it. So from that, you know, they could put their, their kit onto where our laser spot was, and we said, right, those boys are 500 metres east of that laser spot in that building. So we talked them onto it, talked the guys on the ground, and, and the, uh, the, the the British force... Forces guys then came with um, little um, what are those little four wheeler things? Those little uh, quad bikes. Quad bikes, yeah. They had quad bikes, so they three of them blasted in in these quad bikes, picked these three boys up and blasted them back, and then everyone uh, with you know withdrew and um, uh, and lived to fight another day. So it was a it was quite uh, an incredible mission to be on, and we had tanking in the middle of that to try and. Uh, make sure that we could stay on station and uh, and cover the boys, you know, as they got out of there. And um, it, my, I, you know, my wingman, uh, he did a, just a brilliant job to find these boys. And, in fact, he got a, a mention in dispatches for it, which uh, was really thoroughly deserved.
3: That's amazing. Now, you didn't tell that story last time, but you should have. <laughs> Yeah, there was.
2: I mean, to be honest, it was, it's one of those things, you know, that in you spend a long time in the Air Force and do lots of things. But operating out there and in support of the boys on the ground. And that's the key, you know, no matter what the politics, no matter what the, um, you, you know, the, the reason behind it. The fact is that there are a bunch of boys down there uh, and sometimes they are in uh, in pretty desperate trouble. So to be able to uh, to be there and help help them. Um, you know, as effectively just a, a big team, uh, it was one of the, the, proudest, uh, the proudest points of my career, certainly, you know, those operations out in Afghanistan.
3: So, it's sort of like a dilemma, OK? You said that you put down all of your weapons. Do you have to go through a decision-making process to decide, right, if I do this now, that means that I've basically used up everything I've got and I've got to leave this situation, how do you actually come to the conclusion that, OK, if I put down, down my weapons, I th- I've then got to go home? Or do you have to sort of ration it out to make sure you can stay on stay on station longer?
2: It depends. Uh, the, the, every situation is different, JB. Um, you've got, a, a you know, a, a team there, actually, because you've got the, the forward air controller on the ground. Now, normally you know, he's the guy that decides because he will be asking for effect. So uh, no matter whether that be a single rocket or 18 rockets or a 500 pound bomb or, or you know, a thousand pound bomb um, that, that, you know, there was many different guises that we, we could come in and we could uh, we could deliver different weapons. And so it depended on what was happening. Um, and in fact, you, you know, you didn't even have to get kinetic to, to start with you. Sometimes they would just ask for a show of force. Sometimes just the fact that you showed the, the, the enemy that there were fast jets there, they knew that they were heavily armed. They'd seen what could would ha- happen. That sometimes was enough to make them withdraw. So you'd fly over at uh, 100 feet, um, uh, and the, the jet at that height... Um, doing, although, you know, already sensing the banter, 450 knots, not particularly fast for, for some of the jets that the other boys flew. But wow. even so, oh, no, check me <laughs> out. Eh? Uh, and, uh, you know, you'd go over and it, 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 it's pretty intimidating, the noise it makes. <clears throat> but uh, there was a funny story that came off that, which was, um, as, as I said, you know, they, they had equipment that meant that they could listen to the the to the, uh, the enemy, uh, comms so they 'd used mobile phones mostly, and uh, so uh, there was one one sortie where uh, a, a colleague on the squadron, no names, of course, I might have told this before i can 't remember, but anyway he uh, he did a show of force and went over the top and the com that they picked up afterwards was the Taliban dude going that was rubbish i 've seen them much lower than that <laughs>
0: <laughs> good lad no you we 'll have to keep the one that you did tell on the last pod. For next time,
2: yeah, I guess. Have we lost Parky? <laughs> <laughs> hey, now listen. Talking about Twitter and um, uh, and other social media outlets, um, I, I've been exploring a little bit, and no. there's I, I didn't I didn't know because I'm a bit of a, a, a Twitter bereft that actually there's you can get requests on t- Twitter. Have you seen that, you Have you seen all the requests we've had? No. Ah, well. So, well before I get onto those, I also got, you know, I think Goddard was talking about doing some shout-outs at the start, but I promised a uh, a, a friend of oh, mine yeah. that I would um that I would ask a question. He's um it's Greg Baker, he's out in Oman, so we are truly international. Um and he said he asked me if I would ask this question. So his question to us is <laughs> What is the best ground support fixed wing aircraft since World War Two? All right. Now, he also he puts on that A ten for me, but randomly and contentiously I'd like to allow the AC one thirty a shot at the title. What do we think, boys?
0: That is a good uh that's a good couple of airlines there. Are you gonna throw the Harrier in the mix there?
2: You've got you well, I, I, of course I'll throw it in there. But to, you know, in terms of pure, you know, ground attack aircraft, the war the warthogs, both of those aircraft that he suggests there are just fearsome machines, aren't they? In terms of putting down firepower in a sort of a close air support, because they're both effectively dedicated close air support roles, aren't
1: they? Yeah. I think he's nailed it, to be honest. I think the A10, I mean, it was built around that 30 millimeter Gatling gun firing a hundred bullets a second, you know, and I don't know how many rounds, you know how many rounds it had got us for A couple of thousand, maybe. I mean, it was just, just ridiculous firepower.
0: Yeah. I think it was something again, that had five seconds of gun or something like that, didn't it? Um, Five thousand rounds, two thousand rounds demo. Amazing.
1: Right. They used to do some sort of firepad demo display at, uh, at air shows, and, uh, and it was it was a cool jet. You know, it was built so that it could have an engine taken out, battle damage, big. I remember sitting in one. It was a uh, they're big, big old aircraft, but
2: yeah, it mean, had a titanium was, bathtub that the pilots yeah, sat in so it just everything was designed for it to be at low level be survivable the engines did you know it didn't go fast but the engines were mounted high so that they were shielded by the by those wings and by the fuselage to try and stop you know heat seeking uh, missiles surface to air missiles uh, hitting it um you know the titanium bathtub just armed to the teeth
1: it's still it's still in operation. they got us
2: Oh, I think it's stopped.
1: What the? What the A10? A-10. I- no, I
0: think I think the A10 still flying around the place. Okay, so
3: do you want to know what the situation is with the A10? Go on. Then. The situation with the A10 is it is still flying, but the Air Force wants it out of production allegedly, mm. so they are withdrawing support from it.
0: Uh it's been through a bunch of upgrades they've got good glass cockpits and everything it used to fly in the range where we lived um in uh in south carolina it was just flipping brilliant watching them roll in with the gun i just Just, looked it up apparently 1350 rounds of ammunition with uh, low rate of fire being 2100 a minute or high rate 4200 so So, actually a reasonable amount of seconds of gun. Yeah.
3: So, I've actually seen an A 10 in North Wales, of, of all places, and it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen as a 13 year old boy.
0: Ever. <laughs> I bet it was. I mean, it's, it is an iconic aeroplane, it's isn't incredible. it? It's, it's, there isn't anything that looks like that. No.
2: Yeah, yeah. But Greg did say, right, since World War II, right, so we're kind of thinking relatively modern there. But how about. Um, I, you'll have to help me out, I've got name failure um, in terms of the, uh, the aircraft, it was in Vietnam was a, a big prop thing, I think uh, uh, A1 Sky, 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 Sky Raider, Raider. Yeah, yeah, Sky Raider yeah, Sky
1: Raider and that could go off a boat, couldn't it with about 40 hard points or something ridiculous yeah. Uh, yeah. that was
2: another you know, purpose I guess, probably maybe I'm going a step too far, but the predecessor to the A-10 but, that's, but that was supposed to be a monster as well
3: yeah. Good well call. that's basically what the A ten the A ten replaced if I've got my if I've got my history right.
2: Well that's what yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was the forerunner to it, wasn't it?
3: Can I tell you what wasn't the best uh, close air support <laughs> aircraft ever?
2: Was it the seven three seven?
3: No, it wasn't. Have you ever heard of a of a gun called the GPU five? No. What? No one no one's heard that? of the GPU five?
2: No. The gun. GPU. gun. GPU-5. Yeah. yeah, go on.
3: Okay, we're geeky now. So, the US Air Force were desperate to replace the A-10 with saying sexy. So, they put a GPU-5, which is the GAU-8 Avenger cannon, which you find in the A-10, into yeah. a pod and attach it to an F-16. Uh... And safe to say, it didn't work too well, which is why you've still got the A-10
1: interesting but you know the gun in the F16JB that is it's 20mm as suppose to c so you know it's a smaller bullet it's firing but it's the mm-hmm. same principle it's a six barrel and i seem to recall jumping in godas but it had 6000 on high and it was the high B system but if it had 6000 rounds a minute so 100 bullets a second. Wow. Um, you know, I remember doing I remember doing strafe, uh, you know... Yeah,
0: you, carry, you and carried 510 bullets. rounds, yeah. and that was five, five seconds, and wasn't it? Are you banging on about
2: F-16s again? No.
1: Well, it, that PGU-28 ammunition and a beach full of tanks...
2: Come like, on, it, it doesn't it, get it, anywhere near an A-10.
1: No, but it was bloody good fun.
2: <laughs>
1: so, uh, well,
2: so I reckon Greg probably nailed it, didn't he? I think with the, the um, Sky Raider... Um, sort of came in there as a uh, as a second best, but uh, but I think Greg probably answered his own question uh, with uh, with a ten and uh, but the, the AC one hundred and thirty as well was just incredible the amount of stuff that could put down. Now, hey, now listen, I've also got then there's these requests that have come through and it's amazing and you know just sticking with the international uh, theme. There was, um, there's a chap called, and I might get the pronunciation wrong, I'm Hang sorry, it's Mohit Dar Zayal. Um, Hang
3: just before you do that, there is yeah. one other request that I'd really like to read quickly. Go on. Okay, this is in, this slid into our DMs, so in our DMs, this is from Di- Diane, and she just says, hello, how are you doing?
2: <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello, I don't know Diane. who that's
3: aimed at, but yeah, Diane, hello, how are you doing?
2: Who's <laughs> that Do you think that's like a Joey out of friends? How are you doing? <laughs> I don't know Hello,
3: my name is Diane, and I live in Oregon. I am single and looking for a serious relationship like
2: I don't know. <laughs> oh, <I> see. <laughs> Oh, how lo- how
0: lovely. That? She's really yeah. not seen photos of us. Well, I, I, well actually, well, it's,
2: that continues then on the international theme because Mahit dar J- Jaal lives in India. Wow. And he says that he's part of the Indian um, pilot episodes. Uh, um, he said that there's just him, but, you know, it's a growing, you know, we've, <laughs> we've got a few billion more to reach.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's an emerging market right there. It is, yeah. It
2: is. Um, Have we got any questions tonight, Goddess?
0: Uh, yeah, well, so I'm still, we've still had loads of questions from the last one. So, um, well, here's a question from Silver Snowstorm. It says, what do you think the RAF will look like in 30 years' time? Will all aircraft be pilotless drones? Um, <laughs> hoping not, as the Red Arrows wouldn't be as impressive if fully autonomous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I, I, I think we'll set our pilot airplanes around in 30 years time because I think we'll so we flying some of the airplanes we're flying right now in 30 years time yeah
2: which, uh, well, which, I are, sent, which airplanes do you think boys, I sent out? through a, uh, a, a picture didn't I uh, on uh, just as I was, I was looking through a magazine and, I, and I, I sent it through to you just a week ago or something of the um, help me out with the name of the thing uh, what was it called I've got it here it's called. It's the a Boeing's loyal wingman. What do they call? Oh
0: called? Uh, yes, ATS. Uh, actually, uh, we're
2: doing a lot of discussion about that at work at the moment. The air power teaming system. Is that yeah. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Australia are, are, uh, are sort of making noises towards that. It's. Uh, I mean, it is a really easy way of increasing your combat air mass um, with relatively, depending on the technology, cheap um, pilotless. Uh, aircraft. I'm not going to call them drones because drone is the wrong word. Um that uh you know we talked earlier about um how you might overcome some of the more modern SAM systems, well, you know, chuck a ton of stuff at it. Sort that out. Um mm. you know, it's it's that sort of thing. And and as long as the technology becomes cheaper and cheaper, then we'll become more and more interested in uh, in how we do it. Um I can't ever see any time soon the artificial intelligence being good enough for things to necessarily fulfil yeah. rules of engagement and stuff like that, but they'll be carrying out all sorts of other um, uh, roles, like air-to-air refuelling for, like, airborne surveillance, you know, that sort of thing, I think. Yeah.
3: Which of our aircraft do you think are going to last a t- test of time? Because it always seems to be the ones you don't expect. For well, instance, look at the, long, the GR4 just went for. Yeah.
0: I mean, that, that's 40-odd years. I think, you know, Typhoon's going to be around for a long time. That's a fantastic airframe. Air um, a world-beating set of engines in there, you know, the EJ200, is just never flipping goes wrong. Uh, so, uh, you know, upgrades to that, and it, it just keeps getting better and better. I, I think, you know, that will be around for a while. Um, the We've only just started with F-35, so with a bit of care and attention, that thing is going on for years. Uh, I mean, you think about it. Our carriers have a 50-year life minimum. Um, we'll still be flying stuff off of them
2: in yeah. 50 years' time. Uh, hey, I, I, God, I, I you just, um, you, you yeah. just mentioned those uh, ATSs sort of doing in-flight refueling. All right. So we've got a question uh, from Ellie, uh, which is at Elaine R 1975 And uh, just because we were talking about um, – uh, was it ATR, ATS? The, that that uh, the the pilotless uh, system, yeah, and um, and it may be refueling. She, she says, "I'd love to hear about your in-flight refueling experiences. Any scary moments?"
0: Yeah. Oh, shall so- we save that for the next pod? Then
2: have we done oh, it? Well,
0: I
3: thought we'd done a whole podcast on air refueling. Didn't we do tanking? Yeah, did. We do tanking? You did we do,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, tanking. We're, we did do tanking.
3: Tanking off dumbbell
0: so Eli- yes tanking off dumbo that's ellie- my most scary experience
2: yeah yeah you're gonna ha- you can go back ellie and revisit the um previous episodes and, and uh and yeah, scoop all called, of that
0: out it's called all about tanking
3: it is yeah. i think
0: i think and yes. and ellie needs to come back to us and tell her what her favorite story about <laughs> of, <laughs> of tanking off. i've got one here from uh ross uh x ross donovan what is the most interesting or historic RAF? base you visited and why, past or present. That's Ooh. a good one. Parky, why don't you kick us off with that one?
1: Ooh. I mean, I remember just when we went to Malta for the, probably there with you, Dunk, air show. Yeah. R.F. Yeah. Luca. R. F. Luca yeah. Which clearly got it, you know, massive, you know, they, they, well, the whole island was given the George Cross, wasn't it? You know, because of uh, what the boys did. And you just hear the stories of it and it, it's got that you know, just that feel. They were, they were just so regularly bombed. And that was absolute history there. And it hadn't changed much. You know, you could, uh, you could see kind of some of They went to the mess, didn't we, Dunk? Yeah. To recall that. It was, uh, you know, it still had that, that old uh, colonial vibe about it. It was, uh, it was great. So there's one off the top of my head.
3: Can, can, I, just uh, add, I-, can, can I just add to Malta? Um, ever since you introduced me to the Geoffrey Wellem book, who obviously flew... Off, off, uh, off Malta. Um, yeah. I've gone onto YouTube, and there is a fantastic video explaining Operation Pedestal. So, if you get a chance to watch that, and what and what the boys did in in the Navy and getting the I think USS Ohio into Malta, it, it really is. It, it's an amazing endeavor.
1: Yeah, cool.
0: It is. Uh, I'm going to go with um, uh, an airbase I grew up about a, a mile from, RF Kenley, um, mainly because I went to an air show there in about 1978 and went, oh, look at that. This is brilliant. And it was also the place that Douglas Bader was flying when he crashed and lost his legs, although I think we had a discussion about that in a pod before. It might have been somewhere else but he was definitely flying from kenley at the time um and so that always had i you know used to wander over there as a uh, as a kid and uh, go and have a look around the pillboxes and the little dispersal areas which is still, the pillboxes aren't but the dispersal areas are there and it's still an active airfield with uh, with gliders going on you know so you can uh, and i was so privileged to have flown a, a hurricane and a spitfire back over uh, on my time during uh, bbmf so um you know, definitely a special place for me is uh, RAF Kenley with Biggin Hill just over the, uh, over the way on the next hill.
2: Good show. Doug? Well, uh, I think the most uh, interesting place for me, I was, I was looking at my logbook the other day, uh, and one of the first displays I did on BBMF, although it's not an airfield anymore, but it was, was over the Isle of Sheppey. And it was in April uh, 2009 that this um, that I did this display, and it was to commemorate. I'm going to say it must have been a hundred years since the first powered flight in the UK, which was on the Isle of Sheppey down in down in Kent. Uh, and so I, I can remember, you know, d- doing this display over the um, uh, uh, over the that particular site over the Isle of Sheppey, and maybe someone will come and tell me i'm wrong but that's uh, that's what we were that's what we were told and and uh, i just thought that was an amazing uh, i i had no idea that that was where the first powered flight occurred so um yeah that was a, a pretty cool place to uh, to go and be part of and quite a, a historic place even if it's no longer an airfield
0: um should we finish with the, i mean i've just seen it again actually dunk i haven't thought about it so uh, i'll ask you some of this one as well um but it was from um James at uh, Minty Mod F1 uh, it says, "God as an air commodore, what advice do you have for a young aspiring RAF officer, me, who also wants to be a pilot? What advice would you give on how to demonstrate and improve leadership, please?" So, uh, I mean, don't you work a lot with the training community? You know, in terms of a uh, aspiring pilot what do we think is the best thing to be doing other than sort of researching um, entry requirements, uh, seeing whether you like flying, for example, you know, by uh, either joining the cadets, uh, if you're at university, joining a university air squadron and uh, and having a look and, and going flying, maybe even going for a, a sort of taster flight. Um, and then when you're sort of committed Understanding what the process is to getting in the aptitude test that you're going to have to go through, and I think you can improve your aptitude. I mean, I was uh, I failed um, navigator and was marginal for pilot, still am, um, based on mental (laughs) arithmetic. You know, if I went back and had my time again. I'd uh, I I'd definitely do some more sort of mental arithmetic calculations before I went and did my aptitude test or even just, you know, tried a few computer games that didn't have computers in in, in my day, but um, computer games to improve coordination. What do, What do you think?
2: uh i like the way you've done that you see because that i i asked that question and that put you on the spot last time isn't it And you've done it right back at me That's
0: well, I'll, I'll come back to the leadership stuff
2: that. there's the um but I, I well i think you're just right i think there are other things you can think about uh i'm sorry i don't really i didn't get how old james was no, it doesn't do, say do we know no i mean so we said you know he says I, a I,
0: young I, aspiring RAF officer but that could be anything below 40
2: yeah so okay, so um, I, I mean, I think gliding um, also is a great yeah, way to because not not everyone can afford to go and uh, a, a, and and fly powered flying. It's a very expensive thing to do, but actually gliding is relatively cheap in terms of getting airborne and um, and starting getting uh, just into aviation. Full stop, and being on the airfield, you know, pushing out aircraft, and just getting into every aspect of it. I think it gives you a real uh, a, a real flavour for it. Uh, and it'll also um, improve your airmanship and uh, and just know getting to know that sort of airborne environment. So I think in terms of getting airborne, doing that, and then I, I really I agree with God, as, You know, I'm sure there's stuff if you Google it now to say what the aptitudes will you know will consist of, and yes. you know y- you would have to be daft not to then go and try and do everything you can to practice whatever those whatever those aptitude tests consist of now which are you know uh that you can probably get some of them online i wouldn't be surprised but um the mental arith- arithmetic and distance speed time calculations and things like that are things that you probably want to bone up on as well as uh, you know uh, anything that you can do that when you're when you're going for that interview to join the air force to just to show how committed and dedicated you are that that will make the difference i think
0: Parker, you've had a, a lad who's just gone, who's gone through this in the last couple of years. I mean, any feedback, top tips?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I was listening to what you said, and you, you nailed it. Really. I mean, James, uh, he, he went University Air Squadron. Uh, the aptitude tests. I mean, I think we can say with amount of certainty we would dismally fail them now, and they would physically rip our wings from our chest because <laughs> they're, they're just ridiculously difficult you know i thought and uh and there are you know there's um you know programs that you can do and you can you know they are ever happy to you know let you know what those are kind of thing but it's the same for all the you know if you go um fleet air arm or army air corps or royal air force it's the same aptitude <clears throat> tests that have got a crime and, and they they were very difficult but you know, practice, I guess, definitely helps on that. University Air Squadron gives you a, you know, the taste of flying in the military uh, existence. And um, and bizarrely, James, uh, he is now waiting to start pilot training. You know, for the uh, for the Army Air Corps. And I'm hearing that maybe one of the instructors eventually might be Dunk Mason. So my God, poor bloke. Oh my word! Yeah,
0: oh my yeah, word. that's <laughs> the, that, that's the top tip to keep away from it. And um, you know, in terms of leadership, I. I, I I didn't have this last time actually when Dunk surprised me with it I, I haven't thought a lot more about it but uh, last time I did give the sort of three bits of advice that I always give to people when they appeared in my office as they were sort of joining uh, Lossy Mouth um, one was, uh, always be yourself. I think that's a really important one. Um, don't pretend when you're going through those aptitude tests and the hanger leadership exercises and those sorts of things, you know, don't pretend to be something that you're not, um, you know, be a good, uh, be a good listener as, uh, as well as a, uh, as a talker when it comes to it. And you can improve on, on those things, but genuinely always be yourself. Second thing was don't plan too far ahead, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. And it comes with you know joining the RAF as well it uh, sounds like James your lad You know, had to have a sort of backup plan and um, you know have opened all sorts of doors and have uh, become a really good career path for it and the final one was do something every day that scares you um, which was not about the flying aspect that would be bad flying under bridges and those sorts of things but is about um, just expanding your horizons you know volunteering for stuff you didn't think you were going to do or like don't.
3: Right, boys. I'm going to have to end it there because, as well as you three know, we've had some severe sound issues, and they've just come back in again as soon as as soon as got as soon as God has got finished. So probably a timely timely time to get uh, to get out of here. Um, the TDK c has come to the end of the, the reel. Yeah, it, it has. So I will outro us, and hopefully we'll get one done within the next six months. <laughs> We're so, that. That's two in two weeks. We've done now. Yeah. So, thank you, kindly for listening. Uh, come and find us on, uh, well, at Pilot Episodes Pod. Find me at JB, or you can find God is, at Goddard's Twits, or Dunk Major, um, which, whichever one you prefer, or maybe all four. Uh, uh, who knows? And hopefully, when we come to you next time, I won't be deleting the podcast. So, again, thank you for listening, and speak speak to you all soon.